Welcome to the life of a blank. I'm your host, DT. And I'm your host, Gigi. In this episode, we will be delving into the life of a full-time trader. Without further ado, let us introduce our guest, Joseph Singson. Hey, Joseph, how are you? Yo, yo. Hey, DT. Hey, Giles. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for joining, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Joseph, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to our uh, listeners right now. Hey, everyone. Good day, wherever you're from. I'm Joseph Singson, and I am a full-time trader and portfolio manager with Buhawi Investment Management. So, we trade and manage assets across the local market, equities in the Philippine Stock Exchange, as well as in cryptocurrency. Nice, nice, nice. And how, how, how have you been enjoying your, uh, your job or your, your profession? It's pretty good. So I've been trading since 2017, but I only decided to make the switch and go full-time during COVID actually. So this was around Q4 2020 when I left my FMCG job to become a full-time portfolio manager. So what made you do that drastic change in lifestyle or like a uh, change of route in your life? Yeah, it, it was drastic indeed, my friend. I mean, a lot of drama, a lot of dissonance with how I was feeling at that time. And I think, to put it simply, I did not want to dedicate my 10,000 hours of mastery towards deliberate practice of the job I was doing at that time. I was in sales and marketing in one of the largest FMCG companies here in the Philippines. And I was really interested in trading for quite some time. And then I just wanted to make that switch and go full-time. I got into it in college when I saw some of my friends dabbling into it, talking about it, looking at charts, looking at all of these patterns, looking at companies, and... I was just interested to learn more about it as something that could supplement my income and allowance at that time, but it really grew into a passion and love for the financial markets. So actually, okay, so you mentioned before that uh, this happened during college, right? So what were your what was your course before? Um, I mean, in during college, what was your course before? Was it finance or was it something else? It was. Well, first off, when I entered college in 2013, UANP, that's where I met DT. I was in EM, or the Entrepreneurial Management Program. I stayed for around two and a half years before I shifted out to a five-year Master's of Science in Management Program. So it was pretty much a run-of-the-mill, though it was really good, general business course, and then there were some economics and finance subjects, but I was never too hardcore into like a, a math program, an economics program, or a finance program per se. Mm. I see, I see. All right, so uh, you graduated, uh, so you had two and a half years, right? Plus five years. So you just graduated around last year, more or less, last last year. Yeah, I graduated around, um, I graduated around August 2019. So... There was like a year delay in me shifting out from that entrepreneurial management course where I met DT. I remember that <laughs> way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, those were fun times, man. <laughs> Super. Yeah, so Seth, um, what's the current status of the industry, of the, of the trading industry like right now, recently in the COVID season, right? So I think it's it's quite interesting. So for a few reasons, I think number one, People are generally and have been interested in investing in the market since we saw that huge COVID-accelerated crash in March 2020. And then you had a lot of people interested and thinking about, oh, our company's cheap now, is now a time to go in. But at the same time, you also had people panic selling, freaking out worrying that the world's gonna turn for the worse given the pandemic so true, i think true, true. yeah there's a lot of volume a lot of people coming in in the market generally speaking but do you prefer that kind of hectic and panic in the market 
I think so because when you have volatility, that is where there are certain opportunities to make money when there's mispricing in the market. Mm, and uh, how 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 often does that happen? So I think statistically speaking, if we backtest different financial markets, we are going to find out that markets only trend, meaning an uptrend or a downtrend, 20% of the time. And then the balance, 80% of the time, it's just sideways, choppy volatility. So it's that 20% where most money can really be made. Uh, so you also mentioned that you're into cryptocurrency, correct? Yes. So, uh, does the behavior in the uh, actual stock market vary from um, in cryptocurrency? Or is, this, is there like a learning curve from being in the stock market versus being in the cryptocurrency market? Or is it quite the same? Right. So at least my background, which is primarily in technical analysis or chart study, and to be specific, the study of price and volume, it's something very transferable between all asset classes. You have Forex, bonds, equities, cryptocurrency. However, there definitely are some nuances to making cryptocurrency as a market a different animal given that it's a new space, a new frontier, a new industry, and maximum volatility my friends true true actually i was there when the when the spikes from the uh, crypto world i was i was using binance i was checking um the the cryptos in binance and i was like wait what how did bitcoin got to 30k and then the following day it was like 41k <laughs> i was like what the fuck is happening <laughs> i was like what's happening in the market like so i which i i guess uh, i'm not um, that um, knowledgeable when it comes to finance and stuff. I actually just got into it this year, like a few months, like a, a month or so back. So I'm pretty much of a newbie in this space. So I'm not sure if like that also happens in the uh, stock market or is it something that is that happens in crypto? Because as you said, it is something that's new, right? It's a, it's new in the space. It is very volatile. So. Uh, does it also actually, uh, I mean, that kind of um, jump in in the prices of currencies in cryptocurrency, does that also happen in uh, stocks? Um, well, to answer the question, I think yes, it would. But to the extent of how and when it happens, the volatility and the swings we see in cryptocurrency are far more extreme. I mean, in the Philippine local market, you have what you call a ceiling, meaning the maximum any stock can increase by in a single trading day is 50%. And the converse of that is called a floor, which is 30% if I'm not mistaken. Meaning in a singular trading day in the local market, your range is minus 30 to plus 50. And majority of the time, stocks we see go ceiling or floor are very trash low capitalization issues but in cryptocurrency for example it wouldn't be surprising to see triple digit moves in a single day or maybe even on a down day some cryptos dropping 70 or 80 percent i see i see all right because yeah actually i was kind of surprised because yeah um, my parents would do stocks from time to time and i don't see that kind of a very exaggerated ups and downs. Right. Even uh, there's like a news right now that uh, one of the altcoins is down by a hundred percent. It's like zero point zero 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 five something, right? So I was like, what's happening? Like I'm not sure why these things happen. Do you think you will be able to elaborate on what makes it go high or what makes it drop down to zero? Sure, sure. So I think first we have to understand the market capitalization or the total size of a particular stock or in this case a cryptocurrency and when you have cryptocurrencies of a small or low market capitalization it becomes much easier to push it up since they're a small issue compared to let's say bitcoin for example which is very unlikely it would go hundred percent up in a single day though that can happen maybe over a week but to answer the question i think it's really just about supply and demand so demand meaning 
the price in which people are willing to pay for it and supply being the price in which people are willing to sell. And every transaction, given crypto is a 24-7 market, it's a constant battle between bulls and bears, demand and supply. And when you have more buyers, prices naturally go up or to the moon. And then mm -hmm. when you have more sellers, more profit-taking, that's when it goes down. Mm -hmm. All right. Actually, do you think that whales affects the... Uh will be able to manipulate a cryptocurrency or currency in the crypto world? That's a great question. So maybe I'll give an example of Dogecoin or Shibcoin, a lot of these meme coins going around on Reddit and Twitter. And the largest concern with those small cap coins is that majority of the coins are held by a small number of people, a small number of wallets. And to your description, these are the whales who, if they decide to mass sell, for example, that would likely cause sharp price spikes downward. Or if these whales decide to start accumulating more than they have, we'd see sharp parabolic moves up. Mm -hmm. All right. So I guess with Elon Musk's tweets, it also affects the... Uh... Uh, the value of a coin, more or less. That's a cool point. And majority of people think that, oh, crypto's going up because of that tweet. Mm -hmm. Though that may be a contributing factor, for example, it's not necessarily the main wave driving prices. So at least from our firm and from our experience, we primarily look at two major components that influence cryptocurrency and i'm generally speaking here so one would be the yields meaning bond yields in the united states which essentially serve as a proxy of the cost of debt and second would be the u.s equity markets so we really have to see how these two components move moving forward and how that would affect cryptocurrency but Generally speaking, yes, the tweets and all of the retail individual buying or selling might be a factor, but it's not definitely a wave, maybe more like a ripple. I see, I see. All right, Seth, as with all industries, right, there are very influential people in, in the stock trading world. A couple of names that come to mind would be George Soros, Paul Tudor, Vijay Kedia. Who is your stock trading idol and who inspired you the most? I think my my stock trading idol is really Mark Minervini and he he has won the US investing championship multiple times and he's really considered to be one of the GOAT or greatest of all time in terms of trading primarily because of his track record an impressive track record managing personal and clients' money across the board, and the ability to execute at scale. And by scale, I mean over time and with size. And it's very challenging to do that, to be honest. Um, does, th does that guy make books or publish books? Yes, he does. He does. He, I think he has three or four books already, and... I think they're entitled, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to butcher the title, but Trade <laughs> Like a Stock Market Wizard, Trade mm. and Think Like a Champion. So these are must-reads for sure for anyone dabbling in the crypto in the cryptocurrency market or local market or trading in general. Would you say that, you know, trading is for everyone, or would you say that it's it's for a select few people? That's an interesting question because in my talk I had um, last Wednesday, mm. I actually did a survey, um, an informal survey with a small sample size, asking people whether or not a trader is made or born. And 98% of the responses believe that being a trader is something made, meaning it can be taught. So I agree with that to a, to a large extent. However, the converse or the harm in that is 
sometimes people think it's so easy. Yeah, I mean, I've 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 met a couple of these uh these, these people who who think that trading is easy and uh every everyone can do it, right? But the thing is, like, trading is a very very dangerous kind of game. I mean, you're you're, you're putting in your money at risk, and if you don't know where you're putting it and uh, what's exactly happening into the market that you're going into. It can be very dangerous, right? Like, uh, what could potentially happen to your investment? Right, right. And I completely agree. And I draw it parallel, my friends, with buying any consumer good. You don't buy a cell phone without researching what it does and what the features are and what the reviews are or how the technology true, is true, like. True, true. The same thing with buying a car, right? I mean, I'm not a car guy. I think Dendi DT is a definitely more of a car guy. People yeah. don't just, you know, buy whatever car you see in the store because, hey, it looks cool or it has a nice color, right? So there's a lot of due diligence. And in our industry, we call it D-Y-O-R, do your own research and generally just not be lazy or not be complacent because I agree with you guys. There are certain harms that could happen if you blindly invest in a altcoin or small cap stock that you know nothing about. Okay, so Joseph, in your personal experience and in, in, in your uh, career as uh, as being a full-time stock trader, right? What are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced? I can share a few. So I think maybe I can share three. So I think right, the, first, the first major challenge is differentiating between signal and noise. And I can elaborate on that, meaning in a world with so much available information, there are many ways to make a decision. You can make a decision based on what you see on the news, what you see on Twitter, what you see on Facebook, what you see on Reddit, what your friends tell you, what your trading groups tell you, what your mentors tell you, etc., etc. And the challenge then becomes, what do you do when all of these things are conflicting with each other? So that would be the challenge of determining what is really signal versus what is noise. So that's the first challenge. The second would be finding relative strength. I mean... All of us here, especially to those new in the market, whether that be stocks, equities, bonds, or cryptocurrency, we're all here to make money, right? I mean, it's largely a capitalist intention, this whole financial market system. And the question becomes, how do you find the fastest horses? There are so many asset classes. You have Forex pairs, you have equities, you have commodities like gold, coffee, silk, even orange juice. Then you have cryptocurrency, you have thousands of that. Then the challenge is really about how do you navigate all of that and how do you find the strongest issue or the most profitable one? Then I think the third one, and I think this is the most important, is... Managing your emotional sensitivities. And professionally speaking, it's very challenging when you're also managing clients, for example. Because you're also responsible for their biases, their opinions, their mindset. And to a large extent, trading's really a performance sport. I'd like to believe it's 80% psychology, 20% skill or execution. All right. Actually, your very, your first challenge. Actually, I I'm, I kind of understand, or at least I'm in that situation at the moment. Because, like I said, I just started uh, doing cryptocurrency um, about a month or so. So I actually bought a mining rig. It's uh, I just bought a mining rig. So it mines ETH. Cool. So I usually go to like ETH groups on Facebook to learn more about it. As you said, do your own research, right? So uh, I see a lot of people post a lot of stuff every day. And that's true, actually. There's like, I don't know which information is actually good, which information is actually useful, and some are just like trash information. Right. So actually, one of my questions is with regards to that challenge, uh, what are the places as a beginner where you could actually start um, getting good information, like valuable information? Because 
yeah, joining groups. Um, I'm not sure if it's helpful because there's so many different uh, opinions from different people. Just scrolling through the comment section, they're like, "Oh, try doing this, try doing that, try this, try that. Um, mind this, mind that." And I was like, "Okay, there's too much. Like, I don't even know where to start." So, what do you think is the good starting point as a person who's about to enter? Right, right. So, I think um, to answer that, I would like to funnel people to. Investagrams. Investagrams is a free Filipino-founded platform with access to research, trading software, etc. And it's free, but they also have certain paid subscriptions. And included as part of those subscriptions is what you call Open Journal. And that is what my team and I at Buhawi Investment Management also has as a private access subscription to our fund. So I'm actually also the chief marketing officer of Open Journal, and I think it's helpful in terms of people wanting to take it seriously. I mean, those who want to pay a premium, of course, but we also have a lot of free material available on YouTube, Open Journal's YouTube, as well as our free open journal light on the Investagrams platform. So we're a content partner of Investagrams. All right, actually, that's, I'm going to go check that out after this podcast. I'm going to visit it and I'm going to join that group. Cause, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right now, I'm really having a hard time because I was like, okay, I, I wouldn't say I have done extensive research. I mean, I've done probably a month or so of research because I was thinking, should I invest my money in let's say i have like a thousand dollars should i invest it in buying coins or should i invest it in building a rig well i guess i'm uh, basing from uh, what i stated earlier i bought the rig because i was thinking during that time like okay if at least if the market goes down if eth becomes unprofitable i could i still have a physical asset that i could sell eventually so i won't be losing the one thousand dollars or the fifty thousand pesos that i had rather I would still I would still be able to sell parts of my rig for at least to make up for the money that I have initially spent. So actually that, yeah that, that's the path that I decided to take. But yeah, um right now I'm still trying to learn how to do trading, how to do um yeah, basically forex and uh crypto because uh, I don't think mining alone would be as profitable as when you start actually trading them or like knowing what to do with the coins when to sell or like how to sell it more or less but that is very useful actually yeah so thank you for that because yeah even i myself am very confused with all like i joined i think probably five groups (laughs) telling different stuff i've watched different youtube videos because yeah youtube videos are quite helpful but they don't really start from the very beginning so sometimes you just see a pop-up oh okay what's this about so you watch it you read it i was like okay i'm confused what are the terms so i go research what does fud mean what does rug pull mean what does this and that mean so yeah at least (laughs) you know um this way at least um there's like a guide on uh how you should start more or less correct Yeah, and I think props to you, man. I think the first step is really starting. And to a large extent, I empathize. It's very intimidating, very confusing at first. And people just have to chill out and acknowledge that in the beginning, yeah, it's going to be challenging. But if you put in your quote-unquote 10,000 hours of deliberate practice towards theoretical mastery... It will get easier over time. So keep going, man. And sure, we'll gladly help wherever I can and funnel free resources to help everyone out. Thank you so much. Actually, okay, after that, uh, what do you think is your greatest achievement? Because earlier we were discussing about your biggest challenges. So now what is your biggest achievement in the industry so far? Right. So I think um, my biggest achievement so far, well personally is being able to bounce back from seven digit losses and for full transparency this happened last christmas when i traded ripple or xrp i was oversized with a position i had it at 50 cents and i cut it at 
20 cents. I mean, it would have been hindsight to know to know at that time it would have gone up to like above a dollar, but that was a very bloody Christmas for me last year and it resulted in some huge losses and I'm quite proud about the process in which I was able to recover that within a span of around six months. Damn, that, that would have been that would have been a massive loss on on your part, right? Yes, sir. That's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, like, uh, were there integral people that played the part on like your recovery process from that? Yeah, for sure. My teammates at Open Journal and Buhawi Investment Management, Javi, Matt, Luis, we all mm. to an extent had certain losses at that time and we made mistakes and we really put in the effort to condition our trading psychology to make sure that we don't dig a deeper grave for ourselves and really be able to bounce back from that, pursue other trades and make sure that we don't commit similar mistakes to screw us over even more go moving on to uh i mean like your personal life right let's, let's get to know a bit about uh joseph singson sure. um how has how has ecq affected your uh personal life uh not not with regards to like stock stock trading right 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 um like how have you been how have you been <laughs> regarding ecq i think honestly for the first eight months to a year, I was fine with it. I mean, I was kind of an extrovert before, but I grew into my introverted shell throughout that time, and I really loved it, man. I mean, I'm in that camp of people who want to make the most out of the situation. I mean, complaining about it and, like, posting so much negativity, it only goes so far, so I really tried to just improve myself, exercise, pick up some new hobbies, um, meet certain people, grow my network, and really just try to focus on self-improvement during those times. But it was really challenging for sure, maybe for you guys as well and the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely. I think everyone's affected by this, dude. I mean, I, I bet like all the introverts love it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm at home. <laughs> I didn't go out for almost a year. Yeah, like I was at home for almost a year. <laughs> Feels weird, right? You discover new stuff, like you find yeah. stuff in your room or like, hey, this this place in my house. Like you learn some <laughs> new things about it. Na Or I mean, you yeah. get entertained with certain things. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, you know how many steps you have to take to get to the bathroom, right? It's like right, oh, right. one, two, three, four, five. Okay, I'm in the restroom. <laughs> you could like go roam around your house completely blind, not knowing. I like yeah, with zero vision and still know where everything is. Yeah. All right, Seth. So you mentioned uh, you picked up on new hobbies like going into ECQ, right? Uh, could you mention a couple of them? Yeah. So. Um, I started exercising more. Well, not a new hobby per se, but just a weight loss journey because I was quite heavier um, like a year, a year and a half ago. And I think the ECQ thing just made it a bit easier. I mean, eating relatively cleaner, less social drinking, you know, less vices less time outside so i think those are just some benefits as well saving money saving calories so yeah i just tried to get into very simple calisthenics and i think we were doing this in the university before then i remember you your muscle ups and <laughs> yeah all of that cool stuff i remember mm. do you, you ever pick up any sidelines in the ecq apart from like uh apart from trading right Right. Um, no new sideline per se, because when ECQ started, just a quick funny story, I was still in my MCG job at that time. And I was, yeah, I, I was stationed in Mindanao, man. Um, it's Jeez. A the Philippines, south in the Philippines, um, far from the capital. I was in General Santos City, the tuna capital of the Philippines. So 
when they announced lockdown, it was like a movie. It was a race against time for me to like book a flight and there's of course a huge corporate bureaucratic process to do that and to cut the long story short i was chasing my flight which wasn't flying out of the city i was in i had to go to another capital city in davao which is a four five maybe six hour drive with traffic so it was like a race against time trying to catch my flight or i might have been stuck for three months more in the the province yeah in the tuna capital <laughs> yeah tuna capital <laughs> this should have been like a movie like mission impossible philippines <laughs> i was really stressed out all things considered but i mean i'm thankful that i made it on time everything was okay because i might have been more challenged had i been stuck you know far from family even longer far from friends not in my own house and yeah at least you got home safe Yeah. So how would have how would it have been like if you actually did get stuck there? I mean, did you have a game plan? So I thought about it actually. Like as I was driving, I was visualizing, "Oh my gosh, what if I don't make it? What if what like, if the flight like just it? goes away?" Yeah, man. It was the last flight out of that day and they were going to have like a flight ban and flight ban and all of that stuff. So I was just thinking like, you know, negatively visualizing how I deal with it. I would have been like, hmm, well, COVID hasn't reached here yet. So maybe I'd be a bit safer since most of the cases were in, you know, the capital or in other major cities. So that was my thought process. But yeah. just to share, I mean, sort of a hindsight thing, but... maybe a blessing in disguise as well because the distributor i was managing since i was in field sales at that time there was actually a covid breakout a few months later after i left so i probably would have been involved in that in some way shape or form had yeah. i been stuck there by the flight You, you dodged the bullet there, man. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, yeah, that's 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 like a very very interesting story, like Joseph, dude. I can't believe that happened to you, man. Crazy. Stuff. At least you got back in time, though, right? Like, at least now you're safe, you're healthy. I mean, you lost weight as well, cause yeah, with the exercise. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, <laughs> I need some tips though, cause I gained 30 pounds. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, okay, my only exercise was me going down from my room to the kitchen to get some food and going back up. That's the only workout that I do. Solid gains, man. Well, best yeah. of luck with that. And I think, you know, you can do it. Let's do it. Add some maybe weights to the spoon. I don't know. Be <laughs> yeah, like, uh, who's that guy from Naruto? The, the, Choji. the weights. <laughs> Oh no no roughly 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 yeah roughly with the weights yeah arm weights though like, like I'll, I'll have the guns but like I have the beer belly of Thor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joseph. So uh, moving on to like more lighthearted, fun sure. questions, right? Uh, what's your favorite alcoholic drink? Like top three, top three. You would say. Oh, these are maybe unpopular, or maybe you would not. expect it um, yeah those, those are the kinds of answers that we want actually sure. in no particular order i think number one i really love cocktails man like you know people call it like girly sweet drinks but i generally enjoy cocktails tastes good yeah i don't like things that taste too bad um number two i love baileys i ba- love yeah, ba- i love baileys also yeah. um then third i guess would be um Maybe Jack. I love the taste of Jack, especially Jack with cola. Jack, Jack with cola. Yeah. I mean, have you tried the? Uh, have you tried? I mean, what's what's your uh, favorite beer, Joseph? My favorite beer. Another interesting answer to that is Whole Garden Rosé, the pink one. Yes, maybe a ladies' drink, but hey, tastes great. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Whole Garden tastes great, dude. Have you have you actually heard of uh, a beer called a it's a, it's a Dutch beer, uh, and it's called Royal Dutch. Not yet. How is that? Is it also like have a similar taste profile to Whole Garden? 
It's it's very weird because it's it's a it's a beer and beers usually hover around uh, around like uh, roughly like four percent five percent alcohol, right? And uh, this this Royal Dutch beer is a pretty strong one. It comes in four variants, and it starts at eight point five percent alcohol and it ends at sixteen percent alcohol. What about That's you, Gigi? Have wrong. you tried that? Have you tried that? Actually, I think I've seen that in Landers though. It's it's the cream white can right that has like a logo in it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah logo that's the one right yeah, the i Royal keep seeing Dutch. it on landers it's but super I was like, it's super good man. but it also i haven't tried it though yeah man. it also gets you wrecked so fast because it's uh because <laughs> because the alcohol volume is just so big i tried the diablo one. i think it's named diablo it's like 12.5 percent i know that alcohol content for the beer yeah 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 because yeah. I, I saw that <laughs> I, that used to be like a college pregame, you know, you're a college student, not much money, chug a Diablo, you're kind of good for like maybe an hour or two. You'd get, you'd get wrecked, man, if <laughs> you chug that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I tried it. I just drank one bottle. So I was like, oh, sh- damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was intense. It was intense. Because I was like, okay, I was looking for the highest content. I was like, 12.5. All right, all right. Let's see, 12.5. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. It's like double Red Horse. Because Red Horse in the Philippines, it's kind of like a strong quote-unquote beer, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going back to the life of a full-time stock trader, Joseph. Do you have any, do you have any advice for those who are currently in the field? of uh, stock trading or you know those those people who have already dipped their toes in say they're starting out kind of like guiles or yeah. a little bit more experienced even mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think my main advice would really be to have a solid core foundation and understanding of technical analysis so mm. to explain it very simply what medicine is to a doctor, what law is to a lawyer, technical analysis is to a trader. And it's really about the study of price and volume and understanding the DNA of a chart to be able to know what's happening. You talk a lot about technical analysis, Joseph. What's the difference between technical analysis in terms of stock and fundamental analysis? That's a great question. So, my personal belief is that there are opposite sides of the same coin. Technical analysis deals with a lot of patterns, candlestick formations, area patterns, different kinds of techniques to understand price action. While fundamentals focuses a lot on cash flow, valuation, financial modeling, a lot of quant stuff, your CFA people, investment banker, sort of jazz, that kind of thing. In your experience, technical analysis and fundamental analysis, do they more often than not point in the same direction? Or are there cases where, let's say, for example, technical technical analysis will tell you go invest in the stock the stock is going to make you a lot of money and fundamental analysis would say the complete opposite that it would say don't invest in this like the same stock that it's going to crash very very soon are there cases like that yes there are and that kind of relates to what i was saying earlier about signal and noise what would happen if technicals or the chart shows you one thing but fundamentals on the other hand oh it's a good buy because it's undervalued it has a attractive pe ratio or things like that and at least my bias being a technician and from my experience and study i would actually argue that technical analysis is a leading indicator of fundamentals and even market sentiment and let me explain that for a while it's because what we're seeing right now in terms of price technical analysis would argue leads fundamentals a period of 6 12 sometimes even 18 months and this is not something that just comes from me even legendary hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones and 
one of the most popular female investors, Lizanne Saunders of Schwab, also subscribed to. Hey, all right, actually, now you mentioned like other uh, like fa- very famous or very well known or legendary people in this specific field. Do you think that they would also make mistakes? Even the greatest of all time, do you think that they make mistakes from time to time? For sure, because if you do the statistics, on average, traders have a 40 to 60% hit ratio. What that means is that they only have winning or green trades four to six times out of 10, meaning there might be instances where they they range from four to six losing trades. And you might be wondering, huh, Joseph, how is that even profitable? Well, that's where the concept of an edge comes in. And edge is simply how much you make when you're right versus how much you lose when you're wrong, which is why risk management is also something very important in trading to make sure that the times you lose money aren't so bad to wipe out the big gains you have when you make money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because like, as you mentioned earlier, right, in the stocks, there's like a ceiling of 50% and a floor of 30%. So those times that you are wrong could make up for the gains that you got when you're correct, uh, more or less. Mm-hmm. Did I get the the correct uh, summary of things? Yeah. Um, it sort of just has to kind of balance out, meaning um, I think in trading, there are just four outcomes. Big gain, small gain, small loss, big loss. And the job of any astute trader, just make sure that the big losses don't happen. If you have sound risk management, a cut-loss strategy, but in the instances that you err, you make a mistake, there's a black swan event, and there is a big loss, it shouldn't be as many in frequency compared to your majority of small gains or hopefully your baggers or big gains. All right. Okay, From if you encounter the big loss, how do you bounce back from that big loss? Right. So maybe looking at my example last Christmas, the bloody Christmas with my XRP Ripple trade, I really had to take around five to seven days off because the last thing you want is revenge trading or increasing unnecessary risk in hopes of getting the next trade correctly. You really have to manage your psychology and your mindset to make you not too greedy or not too fearful so that the succeeding trade after that is something that is fresh, it's clean, it's something following a process and system, and it's not done out of emotion. So that's what you mentioned earlier about controlling the emotion side right. when you're into trading. All right. Actually, okay, As uh, for now, um, what do you think is the perfect stepping stone for those people who plan to enter the uh, trading scene? Or at least how would they begin their trading journey? So I think um, anyone should begin their trading journey by really managing expectation. And that involves answering a lot of questions. I'll just name a few, maybe... How much time can I dedicate on a weekly or daily basis to this? Because there are some people who think, um, you know, I can just trade on the side and make a lot of money. It's very easy. But we have to understand trading, like I mentioned, is a performance sport. You're going to be have, you're going to have professionals doing it full time, and you really have to learn how to find your place in the market in terms of managing expectation. If you're going to be a long-term investor, for example, or a short-term trader, and you really have to match that to the time you can dedicate and also your lifestyle and emotional sensitivity. I think second is, how much money will I put in this endeavor? And every time people ask me how much should they start with, I simply answer, money you're okay with losing or not seeing for some time because when people are sometimes pressured to trade because they have to earn a profit 
it screws up the process to a large extent when they become overly fearful or greedy because they have a mismatch with expectation. Then I guess the last tip is really just maybe finding a community or finding a mentor or finding sources of information that, in your opinion, as Ray Dalio puts it, have a high believability weighting. Meaning, maybe for me, people with a high believability weighting for technical analysis might be a different set of pundits for those who are more into fundamentals and different kinds of schools of thought. So from the consumer's side or, or a client side perspective, right? Which I, I think a lot of our listeners might want to ask you this question, which is, as a client, how would I know if my financial advisor is actually skilled? Interesting question. So I think what separates a good financial advisor or a good portfolio manager from one who isn't is someone who can really explain the narrative of what's happening, whether that be through the lens of technical analysis or fundamental analysis. They really have to understand the bigger picture, global macro flow, understanding intermarket analysis, how do emerging markets like the Philippines, Brazil, Thailand, Indonesia, how are we affected by the U.S. market? What is the relationship of gold and commodities in all of this? How does cryptocurrency fit in all of these things? So I think that that juggling of macroeconomics and understanding of different markets is something very, very important for anyone giving financial advice or executing for one's portfolio. And maybe a second one off the top of my head would really be transparency and accountability. Like when you ask them, what is the status of my account? Why am I down? Why am I up? They really have to be able to explain that with no hesitation. Sure, it might be a challenging conversation to have, but I think transparency and accountability is very important. And to push that a bit further, you cannot be responsible but not be accountable. I think responsibility and accountability go hand in hand as someone giving advice or managing assets. All right. Okay. So actually, okay, a follow-up question um, for this one. Do you think that, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of get-rich-quick scheme, right? Like you see on Facebook, like, there are, I mean, you see in their videos, in the thumbnail, like, get a $100 profit daily with this, this, and that. How do you actually battle that um, get-rich-quick scheme? Because a lot of people, actually, even me, I actually fell for, like, one of those, like, yeah, it's it's look it looks appealing that you could get $100, but it's not easy to get that $100 per day. Right. So how do you actually, um, how would you tell people on the process of before you could actually get to that certain state? Because, yeah, people would think that, oh, uh, if you just invest, if you, if you know how to, if you invest in crypto now, you get rich. Hence, I, hence I believe the term Lambo came mm-hmm. into, like, <laughs> came into the, uh, the, the terms in trading or in cryptocurrency. So um, any tips or advice for that one? I think everyone has to understand that there is no such thing as a free lunch. And especially in cases where you have guaranteed payouts on a periodic or weekly basis of anything more than maybe 15-20%, I'd largely get sketched out. Especially if there's a guarantee. That's a red flag. But don't get me wrong. I mean, you also have things like money market instruments, like time deposits, like crypto staking, that might offer a fixed yield or a fixed APY or a fixed interest rate. But when this is something so high and it's framed to be very easy and get rich, that's a red flag for me. And you really have to mamba out, block these people, leave those groups with no remorse whatsoever 
it's a highway robbery waiting to happen. They're just after your money. All right. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty helpful because yeah, I mean, I'm one of the victims um, years back before because yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, what, yeah. what happened? What happened, girls? Yeah, can you share a bit about that? Okay, because like I saw this um like uh this there was this like site before wherein um they said like okay if you just do this 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 and that I kind of forgot because that was um probably three four years back I was still in college during that time so like yeah I was still gullible well I would say I'm completely um but yeah I would I wouldn't say that now I don't fall for those at least now I'm more cautious about it because yeah one of the things that uh yeah for one it's like the uh MLM uh multi-level marketing like I actually uh I joined one of those before so that was my first I wouldn't say it's a mistake but I guess it's not something that's for me and yeah that's where I lost a lot of money as well second is like yeah I find some stuff on uh, YouTube that's saying like okay hey um try doing these steps and then you could earn this much money by just doing these steps so I tried it and my money just basically disappeared it was like a conversion thing so like okay they just place your money here wait for the withdrawal and then they would send you like they, they would buy your um share or something like that a bit higher than the market price mm-hmm. so it's like a guaranteed like okay you get a guaranteed 10 percent from the actual market so i tried it i deposited around probably five thousand five thousand pesos which is a hundred dollars more or less mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't see the hundred dollars back. It was—I wouldn't say it's much, but um, yeah, these things do happen. And yes, I am. Well, I'm not ashamed that it happened to me because I learned from it, and at least now I could share the information to people that yes, there are these schemes out there. It's up to you if you want to trust it or not. It might work, it might not work, but based from my experience, it doesn't work. So. Still earning, earning money from your um, earning money by yourself, making that money by yourself is still better. It's still the, a guaranteed income that you get rather than following these get rich quick. Schemes. Yeah, no. Just to share, Giles, I want to share a quick story because I empathize with you, bro. And that also happened to me in college. I'm not even sure if DT is aware about this. Not many people know about it, but. Back in 2018, one year in the market, still very new understanding. I got scammed by one of my informal brokers or friends who were quote-unquote portfolio managers. And similar to what we were talking about earlier, he was offering exorbitant guaranteed fixed returns. If I remember correctly, it was like 50% in one year or there were certain flash opportunities to get 20 or 30 percent in a span of three months and just to share the experience quickly um i got paid out after the first year things were fine so as a result you'd put more money in and that's the hook for the scam before things become delayed and eventually a lot of what i put in I never got back. So I'm I'm with you, man, on that. And that's also why I'm on this relentless pursuit of financial literacy to make sure that we expose these people and make the common public aware that there's no such thing as a free lunch and things aren't easy. All right, yeah. Seth, these people who uh, pitch these kinds of things, do they know what they're doing? Or are they also unaware that they're scamming people? But just because of like the brainwashing that happens in these corporations or these firms? I think majority of them are just pure evil. They know that it's bad. They know it's a scam. And they capitalize on people's greed or people's naivety to be able to give them any amount of money as a hook for them to put in even more money. Eventually, it's like a Ponzi, MLM-esque sort of pyramid scheme that comes crashing down when people are trying to cash out, but there's not enough because money's just changing hands as what you owe people increases. It's crazy, man, all things considered. Okay, so on to the next question, Seth. What makes Buhawi Investment Group like your brainchild what makes it very special and 
near and dear to your heart. Right. So I think as someone who joined um, Buhawi Investment Management, also as CMO and as a licensed portfolio manager, just how our team is aligned in terms of how we look at markets. We're all mm-hmm. primarily technicians and we all primarily operate using a similar methodology and strategy, which we do teach to our private access subscription, open journal community and subscribers. But I think to answer what makes it special to my heart is that it allows me to do what I want when I want on a daily basis. It's not like a full-on corporate job where I have to report to a boss. I have a lot of bureaucratic meetings I have to attend, a lot of reports. Though that's kind of part of it sometimes. I'm able to trade at my own time and I'm accountable and responsible for the outcomes and for my own client base, whether that be profitable or negative outcomes. I love the autonomy. You gave so much good insight and so much stories and so much hidden gems in this in this in this podcast, man. Right, girls? True, true. Actually, I learned a lot, especially for someone who's about who just entered cryptocurrency, who wants to learn about um, trading, not day trading per se, but I guess like learning more about trading in general, forex and crypto. This is actually very valuable. Uh, I learned a lot of valuable information from this podcast alone. So thank you so much, Joseph, for like sharing your expertise, for sharing your thoughts and your experiences with us and with our viewers as well. Yeah, thanks, man, dude. Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. This was super fun. And if ever I can help in any way or there's more opportunities, gladly to help out my friends and help out this endeavor. Super cool, super awesome. So here we start the uh, freedom portion of the podcast. Seth, uh, is there anyone you want to say hi to? Are there any topics that we didn't touch on that you wanted to uh, relate to our listeners and our audience here in the podcast? This is the time to do so. (laughs) Sure. So I just wanted to do a shout out to a lady I'm exclusively dating now who has been an integral part as well to my trading career and someone who supports me so yeah. if you're listening bell shout out to her aka her moniker coin femme so we can give her a shout out as well as to my colleagues at buhawi investment management and open journal javi matt luis and jessa ariel and scott couldn't do these things without you then lastly, shout out to the Open Journal subscribers and family who are going to be listening to this. Care about you guys a lot. Actually, I have one question, though. Sure, this, is, sure. this is something that I have heard from people, more or less. As a trader, do you consider yourself as a professional gambler? Mm, that is very interesting. Though I get the parallel, I would say no. Because gambling is largely luck-based, meaning it's all probability. But in terms of a professional trader and portfolio manager, there's so much more to that in the sense that it's not just about probability per se. Though yes, we'll never know what's going to happen. We don't have a crystal ball to tell us if something's going to go up or down. But largely, it goes much deeper than that. You have the study of price and volume. You have the hard skill of applying techniques and concepts to read charts. You have the soft skill of closing clients as an end-to-end process. You even also have um, dealing with your own emotions, your own psychology, and your own even physiology. So... Yeah, there's so many facets, kind of like MMA. You can't just be one-dimensional. You really have to be well-rounded to have a chance to win in the octagon. All right. Thank you so much. So I'll hand it over to DT. If you have any final questions, DT, for our very special guest today. Uh, none none for me. All right. Joseph, 
you've been an amazing sort of ambassador for uh, Open Journal and uh, and Buhawi Investment Management, man. You did a great job. I mean, this podcast is amazing, dude. <laughs> happy to be here. Happy to I'm support it. I'm really looking forward to what happens next with you guys. Solid. Awesome. And Seth, if I'm not mistaken, you have a Facebook group, right? Right. So my Facebook group, you can search it Stock City. So S-T-O-C-K-S space C-I-T-Y. I post a lot of free content there as well. But to those of you starting out, you can really check out Open Journal on YouTube. It's a channel as well as Open Journal Lite on Investagrams. It's a free group. Then any questions or you want to stay connected with me, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at Brosef Joseph with an F, not PH. With that, we're going to close this podcast. All right. Thank you so much, Joseph. We'll see you on the next episode.